Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On this show we have three central planks to our writing manifesto. Plank the first to help you write more. Plank the second to help you write better. And plank the third to help you be a little bit happier. As you do those things to that end, I get uh, authors on this show and writers of all stripes, varieties and allegiances and I talk to them about their craft and what they do and how they manage to muddle their way through it. I sometimes get people from the publishing industry on and talk to them as well. Sometimes I give out advice in the form of episodes where I uh, take a a listener's first page of their story and suggest ways that they could make it even better and sometimes I just talk into the microphone which is what today's episode is. It is a writing ramble Uh, which means it's just an unedited episode where I switch the microphone on and I talk about what's going on for me in the world of writing and uh, how I'm feeling about it. And I think I've been doing a few of these just because um, I've been struggling to stay on schedule this year. I've been struggling to find time for my writing and podcasting and the never-ending plate-spinning stroke, juggling stroke, or just everything thing that is life um and I've been doing these just because they're what I've had time to do I'm not going to apologize at the beginning of every episode about doing it because I know some people who listen enjoy these just as much as the ones I spend ages on Um, I would like to get some listeners uh first pages as well so if you want to send them in I'll put a link in the show notes but just to remind you it's my website timclairpoet.co.uk forward slash no there's no forward slash at all you just click on the contact me link send me 250 words the first 250 words no more of your story your novel um, and a title just just drop it into copy and paste it as plain text into the body of the email I don't need an introduction explaining what it's about and giving me context and I won't read it if you send me one I just I just want to have the first 250 words in a title please some people don't even have a title and they say untitled now I have said try and edit it and make it as good as possible ideally it would be from a finished novel that you've worked really hard on and you've taken to the point you can't take it any further and you're thinking about you know either moving on to the next uh, project or submitting but really you've, you've taken it as far as you can um, I, I get the sense that the majority of things that people send me uh, are not at that stage I don't think you would be at that stage and not have a title for your piece I, I think that would you know have come up at some point but um, nonetheless you know take it as far as you can and then send it to me and I would love to do some of those in a future in future episodes uh, and you can look back through the through the voluminous archives of Death of a Thousand Cuts to uh, listen to my some of my previous thoughts on those. So I've just come back from, and I guess one of the other reason why I thought, you know, actually I wouldn't mind talking just in general is, well, not in general. I mean, it's always going to be, it's always moving down into the specifics. I never, I've, I've never managed to sustain an entire episode where I, I light on nothing in particular, but talk entirely in generalities. Although I'd be quite impressed if I managed to maintain an entire episode talking only in the conceptual, only in the realm of non-specifics, only in these kind of platonic ideals of concepts around writing. I I think that would be impressive in its own way, but I'm not going to do that. 
Um, I've just come back from teaching a week at Arvin. Uh, if you don't know, uh, they've sponsored a couple of episodes of Death of a Thousand Cuts in the past, actually. Um, but the Arvin Foundation are a registered charity who've got, I think, three locations around the UK. I should know that with more certainty, but I think it's three. Um, and uh, they have been around for a, a good long while, many years, uh, doing... Well, to give you an idea, I went to do an Arvon course when I was 18. That was my first creative writing course, first proper sort of creative writing tuition, apart from what I'd had in school. Uh, but yeah, first extracurricular creative writing tuition. I went and did that when I was 18 uh, in where I went last week to teach, which was Totley Barton down in Devon. So it's been going, you know, that was over half my life ago that I went to do that and now I'm a tutor there and I'm you know going into exactly in, in into the same barn that I did my first reading to a group um you know we had the readings on Arvin's got like a very set way that a week works uh they they they're these sort of five day courses that run it weekly and they've got a set way that the week runs that has been exactly the same it was exactly the same when i went when i was 18 to what it is now which you know as a not wishing to um fully embody uh, stereotypes but as a person who is often comforted and reassured by the predictable and the routine i really like it so you turn up and on the first I think you know generally you turn up and on the Monday you turn up in the sort of like mid day stroke early afternoon there's a like it's you know it's in the middle of the countryside you you get settled in and then you have dinner and then you'll have like an intro session in the evening and there's two tutors running a group of about 16. We were teaching teenagers um and so you have that intro session might just be a little bit of chat about what you're going to do because different weeks will be on different subjects you know there'll be the, I think the first time I went there it was a kind of finishing your novel or continuing your novel course which I think is a sort of very ambitious thing in retrospect to maybe overly ambitious for an 18 year old to be rocking up and going you know what I'm just I just need I just need a little a few tips to help me roll this novel over the line uh, that's a, a wonderfully, a wonderfully ambitious, <laughs> I'm saying that in the nicest, most charitable possible way. Um, and it was taught to me by, and I've said this before because I've had one of them on the show, uh, but it was taught to me by Andrew Cowan. Uh, you can go and listen to an episode I recorded with him and Richard Beard as well. Both uh, novelists who've written some non-fiction as well. Uh, and I actually had a great week there but so yeah you have that monday night and then tuesday wednesday thursday and friday generally you will have the whole morning from about 9 30 will be workshops with the tutors with the two tutors until lunchtime and then afternoons are generally taken up with writing and you'll have these one-to-one -one sessions with the tutors so everyone will normally have one sort of single one-to-one -one session with both tutors at some points during the week uh, and then after dinner I think like 
here's, here's so so I'm going to tell you the whole routine. So like on Tuesday nights, it's normally readings from the two tutors from their own work. So you get a sense of their creative practice. Wednesday nights, a guest comes, a guest writer turns up, arrives into the group and reads some of their own work and answers questions. Thursday nights, often uh, everyone chooses to uh, a reading from a piece of work that they're inspired by or they like or they want to share normally on something relating to what the week's about so you know if it's a poetry week people are going to pick their favorite poem to read out or whatever and then friday everyone's produced their some they all read out a piece of work that they produced that week and it's a little bit like a benign cult in that you're isolated there's no mobile phone reception I mean I think when I first went there mobile phones weren't really wow mobile phones weren't really that common um people had some people had beepers some people had pages some people had that was still there was like this brief window in uh, telecommunications history where one or two people got pages that you'd get a little beep and a little message you could phone up and leave you and then someone would answer and uh, and and you could say and you could say your message to that person and then someone would get a and they'd get a little they'd get their little message text message but you had to actually phone up an operator and dictate it to an operator and then it would appear on anyway as by the by just reminiscing about the changing world of telecoms um and, and so it but it's always been like in this black spot of reception there's no wi-fi except for tutors tutors can get on the wi-fi um but there are there are computers that you can go on to to type on and some people you know write on their laptops some people write uh in their workbooks and so you just it's just this place where everyone's writing and I'm sure some weeks can, you know, have better atmospheres than others, depending on the mix of personalities. But certainly whenever I've been there, it's created this supportive atmosphere. People have come together. Now, obviously, if they've come from a school, then many of them may know each other. But even then, often the school has sort of is mixing classes and mixing years and they might not all, you know, it might not be natural friendship groups that are coming. Uh, and something, you know, something pretty bananas happens and it's difficult to talk about without coming across as twee or overly earnest or sort of schmaltzy. But there is a kind of magic to the formula that they've got set up and the way people step out of their lives. And whether it's working with young writers or whether it's working with, you know, all ages of adults up to you know people who've been retired for 20 years uh, it's it's always been really really valuable i think last week i'm, I'm you know i won't go into details about it because you know just because i was teaching uh, years seven to nine so that's like 11 to 14 and i i think even if i was dealing with adults i would i would always leave out the particulars just so to protect people's privacy but what I want to say about it is just that it was really, really, really enjoyable for me. And I, I, you know, I think I can say without fear of, you know, breaching anyone's privacy, just that they were an amazing group. They were just really, really great to work with. And it, and, and the tutor I was working 
with uh, a writer called uh, Lamorna Ash, who's uh, written a great non-fiction book, uh, which I might I'll actually put a link to in the show notes, just in case you want to check it out. It's a, but you know, writes really, really engaging. Oh, just the kind of non-fiction I really want to read, which is just like that close, like essay, like lived experience. Like I want to find out about something. I care about this area. This one is like, you know, fishing, basically going down to Cornwall and becoming part of a fishing community and going out, you know, with the fishermen. But it's just that thing of being interested in something and then going and living it and doing, I guess we call it journalism. But I think it just is there's a very it has a very expansive and it's a very expansive and idealistic and uh, and ambitious definition of what journalism is and can be that I think you can only get when someone takes on something at book length uh, where someone actually lives something, you know, where you go and you actually change your life in response to trying to investigate something. And I think there are books out there that do that that are, are magical and it's something that and, and I, I realize I, I realize that I'm slightly valorizing it and, and then I had a moment of going yeah this is the kind of non-fiction that you try to write Tim and, and and immediately the implication is I'm going you know all the cool people that's real journalism uh, no like real journalism can be knocking itself on someone's door at, f- at 5 a.m real journalism can be the incredibly boring work of fact-checking and following things up and make and, and and cutting things down and editing it to make sure it, that it makes sense. It can be building up contacts. You know, I'm not. It. it I guess you know. I get. I, I guess there's a lots of deeply unsent, uh, unsexy things that are real journalism as well. And I don't mean to be sort of sneery about it. I don't mean that. But I just think. I just think that it's a type of non-fiction writing that I really, really like to read. And I hope that there remains an audience for it because it often involves big commitments and big risks on part on the part of the author. Anyway, we got to go down there and teach a bit of non-fiction, a bit of fiction, a bit of poetry. Uh, and, it, and it meant a lot to me. And I've, I felt I came away feeling incredibly inspired think you know and what I wanted wanted to talk about and what I wanted to say about that really was that um quite a lot of how you feel about yourself as a writer is going to be a function of environment and circumstance quite a lot of how you feel about yourself as a creative person, how you formulate your identity overall, is going to be arising from the interplay between you and your surroundings. And, And we can conclude that we're not proper writers, that we're not able to write, that we are rubbish and someone else is amazing and was born to do it without taking into account the very 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 different life circumstances we find ourselves in 
I think one of the things that I found most inspiring about it, and I should say, like, at the moment that the week ended, I immediately came crashing down from this. It was a little bit like going to a festival, doing loads of drugs, and then coming away from it and having, like, the mass biggest come down ever. My car broke down on the way home. Uh, it took them 22 hours, 40 minutes to get me home. I was really freaking out. I, I was crying. I was like every sort of worst bit of my mental health and my engagement with the world as a as an autistic man kind of came out. I was pacing the garage forecourt and stimming, trying to get through to the RAC on the phone late at night, which meant that the woman in the garage, it was a BP garage, um, phoned the police on me. The police actually, you know, were very nice when they, they came out and spoke to me and not unpleasant to me at all. Uh, I guess it's lucky that I can I'm, I'm lucky that I can switch into kind of middle class white dad mode very easily and that we live in a country where the police aren't routinely carrying firearms at their hips because otherwise I can imagine that could have ended very differently. Um, so I recognise, just in case you think this this episode has turned into copaganda, um, I'm saying that these specific people in this specific interaction were understanding um and then I got home uh, because I couldn't go to see my wife and daughter because the car had broken down and I got home and tried to tidy things up and there was a dead pigeon in the back garden and I tried to move it and the closer I got to it the more shaky I got and I nearly I like had sort of got it on the end of a dustpan and brush and I tried to move the body and I started freaking out and then I started crying and making a sort of like high keening wail and uh, it got worse and worse until eventually I had to re retreat I retreated into the house and I was freaking out and I phoned my wife and I was going I, I feel panicked I feel really weirded out I there's I can't do it I can't do it um and it threw me for the rest of the day and that's weird isn't it that's like was like that the level of like loathing and terror I felt around it ultimately initially I wasn't that I was like oh that's gross and has bummed me out but like I'll move it because I got to move it because I'm not going to leave it for my wife Ugh. it's freaking me out even to think about it but it just got worse and worse and the closer I got to it and the more I tried to the worse I felt until eventually I was just this juddering mess and also felt quite humiliated after sort of essentially a, a day of travel something that should have taken me a journey that should have taken me about three hours took me 22 and a half and then I got home to this pigeon and freaked out and couldn't even you know clean the back garden there's no real ennobling narratives around this kind of life Whereas kind of like there are lots about going and spending a week writing and inspiring young writers and doing a reasonably, I think, you know, based on the feedback and how it went and just my sense that people probably aren't lying to me all the time. But I think we did reasonably well and I certainly really enjoyed it, uh, both the sort of formal workshops and all the stuff around that and listening to the work that they produced it was just great 
It was just felt great. And I felt like I knew who I was. And every part of my week was planned that I had a planner with the times it, it it's been like that for over 20 years right the, the exactly the 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 geography I know when I'm there I didn't have to know where anything was because I know how to get to it very easily because I remember because I have loads of memories there I've slept in those rooms I've read in that barn I've made my breakfast in that kitchen many times and I've got everything written down for me and I've got support people telling me when I've got to do something and that makes it very comforting and then with those kind of guidelines I can start you know improvising and being and doing stuff and I can seem sort of like a very confident spontaneous person I think I mean I'm sure I've still got kind of lots of ticks and ways in which my 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 timness kind of like leaks out but I think overall I'm not sure that anyone would really pe- peg me as being uh, uh, as being autistic or having issues. I think I would probably come across as like reasonably gregarious and confident to the point of maybe being a little bit quote unquote too much, right? Like being a little bit too middle class dad, a little bit too morning. I'm going to go for a hearty walk, like a bit too performatively bumptious, right? like a like a like a, a little bit domineering actually uh, and you know maybe a little bit kind of like doing doing the sort of like social equivalent of getting someone in a headlock and and giving them a dutch rub uh, you know tousling their hair and saying how are you you rascal and I don't do obviously don't do that literally but that that feeling of sort of like being like a little bit wanting to be the center of attention is how I imagine I sometimes come off and um, and you start thinking, oh, I've cracked it. I like, I I want to write. I feel happy. I feel comfortable. I I feel back in touch with why I write. And then you come away from it, and you have this massive crash, partly because of exhaustion. Like it is mentally exhausting. I think if you give yourself to that week as a punter, but also as a as a tutor. Um, you really don't have any headspace for anything except engaging with the different things people are writing. And it's very fulfilling and it feels like meaningful work. But I really am sort of on from from the moment I get up and leave my room to the moment I go to sleep. Really, maybe I get a little bit of time to read at the end of the day, but not till like half ten, something like that. Um, It's very much on all the time maybe get to go for like a little walk or something once a day but and, and I'm not complaining I really enjoy it but it's just you it only hits you at the end of it how exhausted you are um and so I think that's part of it I think it's just a time of year where various things have kind of come to a head and it's like the little anniversary of something and um there's you know there's various background stresses in my life that I think really contributed to me sort of getting home finally and kind of having a big freak out but because this is why you know I'm not just reporting my mental health to you although I don't mind doing that but I think like one of the important things to say is I do actually feel really inspired about writing and it did reconnect me with what I care about and it did sort of reinforce in me why I do this podcast and 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 the and why I still believe in the sort of philosophy that I've sort of 
laid out in it. You know, I really enjoyed teaching for a week as well. Just and you get to see. I think it's really, really good just on a just on a craft level to do exercises because I got to do all the exercises that my fellow tutor Lamorna set, which is really, really good for me because I just got to do a bunch of writing for no purpose, for no with no for no commercial end and um, with absolutely zero consequence if it went wrong, which it did. And it didn't matter. I mean, it it did in the sense of they were not great pieces, but it didn't in the sense of it made me really happy to do them. And I enjoyed doing them and I feel like I learned something and I feel like I was a little bit loosened up by doing them. And I think I also just it's really it's really God, it's so healthy to write for no reason except the pleasure of writing for the experiment of writing. Oh, my gosh, it's so important because. I'll be honest, like having coward out uh, was not an easy thing. I think, you know, it didn't do shameful numbers. But, you know, I, I think I was I think I had quite high hopes for it because it was something I was really proud of. And maybe it didn't quite meet those super high expectations, especially because, you know, my publicist did such an incredible job getting coverage in loads, I mean, I was doing TV and I was doing all sorts of events and newspapers, and uh, I think it. I found that hard, that whole book coming out. Um, it's hard to put your whole heart into these things, these projects, and and not get a little bit obsessed with like how you're doing and whether you can continue doing this and whether you're making a living and whether you're going to you know live the dream and whether you're going to be popular and whether you're going to be critically acclaimed and I, I know all those things are kind of shallow um but you still you feel like so many people invest in you your editor your agent your family who kind of put up with everything um people like you listening to this podcast you just want to present them with a uh a sort of ennobling story of success uh it sounds we it sounds disingenuous right to go well i just want to be i just want to be successful not for me but for you uh but it's kind of true i guess i want people to feel like like I've done well by them anyway that's that side of things and it's hard you know like and it's hard when people love stuff that you've done really because you don't want to let them down you want to reward that by doing more of the thing that they liked and I so I am coming to a positive place here which is that like last week made me realize well it just reminded me that the place where writing feels most alive to me and exciting is actually at the point of creation it's working with other creatives as well other writers like the young writers we had last week um although the teachers got involved as well and you know the my fellow tutor did some writing in my workshop sessions and I did some writing in her workshop sessions so we were all and there was this real sense of just everyone being 
in it together and that none of us were it felt i hope that there was an element of peer to peer in this that we were all writers writing learning trying to support each other and there were different experience levels but we all faced the same problem of the blank page and how do i transpose something onto nothing you know that is the ultimate thing we're doing is just the transposition of a pattern onto emptiness is what writing is and it was thrilling and exciting and i'm really glad that after spending half over half my life you know doing this in some professional capacity and having written you know all through my childhood as well but uh, that i'm not in any way um burn out on the process i'm i am still and i think this is kind of beautiful you know like not that i'm not sorry again i'm not trying to valorize myself but i think it's kind of wonderful and heartening that stories are just as exciting to me as they ever were if not more that making words do interesting things making words work harder than they normally do is still thrilling to me and delightful and surprising and a little bit magic i i am not in any way burnt out on that as a process and as that as a way to spend one's life the publishing industry the way that capitalism intersects with creativity um the dream of getting published and making money out of it and trying to make a career out of it you know i i i do see that a little bit more for what it is and i don't know how my career will develop and i do know that i'm probably more likely to sort of not make much more of an impact than i have already uh as i continue you know i'm kind of aware that there's always a chance that you know you do something and for no reason than that you can discern it it breaks out in some mad way we're so reliant on different you know not i mean gatekeepers isn't quite right because it suggests that they're there trying to keep actively keep something out but they're just these nodes who just these people who can just grab something and they just accidentally elevate it to a higher level you know people who've just got a lot of influence uh or just that something just hits the right people at the right time and they share it and it ju- and, and then it go you know there's just these crazy intersections and whether the buyers at the big bookshops decide that they want to get your book in and put it on the shelves and make it prominent and, all, and whether it's going to be reviewed and all these things all these little decisions that can make a big difference i mean it just it just kind of is what it is and it's more likely you know quality has some in some impact on how that goes down but it's definitely not the be all and end all but like do i like right do i love 
making stories and playing with words and thinking about stories. And the answer I've come back with, despite this massive crash I've had afterwards, is yes, like I love those things. Like they matter to me. And and it, it was just a reaffirmation of... There's a lot of chatter online about how to write your pitch letter to an agent. How to, you know, how to query, how to, yes, always oh, Americans as well, how to comp your book, finding comps, which means finding, as far as I can tell, finding like books that you can compare your book to when you pitch it to a publisher. And I just think I don't know anyone who's done that. I don't know anyone who's done that, who's bothered about that, who's made an effort with that. All the people I know who've been hugely successful with writing have never given a sh- given a hot shit about like how to compose a query letter or how what books you should be using as your comps. Like I just think it's a it's a way of trying to assert some control on a fundamentally stochastic system, just like a just a uncertain largely chaotic system with a bunch of prejudices in it that makes it harder for some people than others um makes it considerably harder for some people than others and the only the thing i just come back to is like what do i care about i just take a lot of comfort in looking back at my books and thinking oh god like i i'm not a i'm not a huge fan of we can't all be astronauts although it's been years since i opened it and looked at anything in it i'm sure there would be bits that i'd look back on and go actually that's written all right but i I don't i'm not totally in love with that book but the honors and the ice house you know i go back to them and i go this is whether someone else you know even enjoys them let alone you know whether someone else experiences them as good or whether it's what they want you know is another thing entirely but but did I write the books I wanted to write? Yes. Did I really compromise on what they are? No, no, I don't think I did. No, I think I got a lot of help from my you know agents and editors, you know, helping me rein stuff in, helping me make it make sense. But like, did I have to write something I didn't want to write? Did I write it to please anyone else? Like, no, no. I th- those books are for me. And they do what I wanted them to do. And I can look back on them with a certain amount of pride. And there's a certain peace in that, you know. I just think they're kind of chill. And I just think they didn't exist. And now they exist. And I just think that makes my heart happy. And it tickles me. And I feel like they're mine. And I can stand by them. And I feel the same way about Coward, you know. I just think it's kind of cool. I think it's a good book you know and other people can say it's not and they're fine and I might even sort of agree they may very well be right but I suppose what it comes back to is like but is it the book that I wanted to write and that I needed to write and did I ultimately get to have control over what it is and the answer is like yeah yeah it's mine like whether you think it's great or whether it's pants to you it's like i have ownership over that in the terms that any mistakes or flaws in it are mine and they're mine and they were chosen by me and 
I'm I just it's hard to explain but I feel super at peace with that you know and it's just writing is and language is like the ultimate system of you know I've maybe talked about this on the show before but like I'm a massive board games and card games and tabletop games you know nerd I I take great comfort and and uh, pleasure in them and the systems and and games like uh netrunner and magic the gathering where you've got these decks of cards and you you choose what cards you put in from like a massive suite of cards i don't i think there's probably no one alive who who knows who knows who who has the entire um uh you know catalog of uh magic cards in their head who who knows all of them if you said the names would be able to tell you what the card does that wasn't true of netrunner netrunner had a small enough uh range of cards that i knew i think what every every single card did just from the name but magic there's no way it's just it's crazy but like wonderful because you can kind of lose yourself in it and magic is just like those things um sorry language and stories I like those systems to like the power of 30 like just so many orders of mag- magnitude we can just play with word order and plot and tugging on someone's heartstrings and motifs and we have all these different formulae for how you might construct a story but then you can ignore them and do something else and you can it's just something I think kind of wonderful and glorious and interesting about creating images and emotions in strangers' hearts and heads, maybe days, weeks, months, years apart from your setting those words down on a piece of paper just because the way that some you know tree tree pulp has been stained with ink you can make somebody consensually hallucinate um, you know through the way you've ordered these little bits of alphabet that we've inherited from our ancestors and they're only, you know, it's only a few thousand years old, really, this, what we're doing. And, you know, a blink of, a, of a, an eye in galactic terms. Is this happening anywhere else? Or, or is this the only time throughout all eternity when this... discipline has or will ever exist because there must be many 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 other ways that life can grow even if there's consciousness somewhere else it's kind of weird i know i sound a bit like i've done a a gigantic bong rip in the kitchen at a party at 2am but it's true right like these things are true and we you know maybe we reflexively apologize about them because you're supposed to care about who wins an award rather than just going wow 
And I think what this week just gone has just brought me back to the wow. And the wow is why I write. Attention and approval are very addictive and I'm not above them. I do like the feeling they give me. But the thing that's going to keep me going writing, the thing that I can have control over, the thing that ultimately I think is the best reason for anyone to write, is 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 the wow or the awe or the reverence or you know the pain and the outpouring whatever it is for you that um that that, that transports you when you read whatever it is that moves your pen that isn't the expectation of some of someone affirming you later down the line because that's what happens when I look back at my books and I like them I'm just like that's a fucking good sentence that's good on the line like I just feel like I'm good on the line and I know I am so I don't just feel it I know I am and I can just say that and be sort of safe in that knowledge right and I know it's not for anyone else it's for me it's just like when you have, I mean, I don't play real golf, but if you're at crazy golf and you just, and you get the putter and you whack it and you know, or pitch and putt, and you know from like that first whack, you, you just get a sense, you go, I've hit that sweetly. I can feel it in my gut that that is right and you watch it roll and roll and the beautiful physics as it as it goes up uh, up the camel hump and then down through the windmill or whatever the uh, theme of your particular hole that you're on is and and you feel it in your gut before it rattles into the hole before you get that lovely dink on the pin and it goes into the hole you know you did a good and you're not looking round you don't feel like well unless someone else praises me for that that's going to be a meaningless a meaningless achievement it just feels intrinsically good it's an end in itself and I just feel psyched and I also just felt like in knowing that and in knowing that joy around it, I just also felt like I can do it. It felt less intimidating. I was like, of course you know this. Of course you know this because you're a human and storytelling is your birthright. We can become alienated from that. We can make missteps and errors just like anyone you know dancing can stumble or become distracted but ultimately you can do this because it's what makes us human stories are you know narrative is intrinsic to memory memory is intrinsic to identity therefore we are stories 
and therefore we are storytellers. That's how we make meaning about the world. And I don't do this to self-mythologise. It's not about strutting around preening. Because, as I say, it's our birthright as humans and there's nobody who doesn't have access to this if they choose to pursue it. Now, what I can't say is that everyone is going to produce written stories in a format that will be picked up by a business and that that business will sell them and market them in a way that will generate sufficient interest for you to be financially rewarded in a way that allows you to support yourself. I can't do any of that and... While I do understand how important it is for us to eat and have a roof over our heads. I don't know. I see a lot of writers who are frigging miserable, scared, hiding the way the ways in which that writing is not serving them. I get a lot of these conversations, I've said it before, when the when the recorder goes off. When the recording stops, the number of authors I speak to who then talk about the ways in which they are worried, the ways in which they feel like a fraud, the ways in which sales have not been going as they would have liked, but they we, we feel, I feel, a pressure to put forward an image of success. I'm not sure it serves anyone, you know. Or at least I'm not sure that the image of success, when it means commercial success when it means success in the capitalist sense of I am shifting units I am generating value for shareholders Uh, I just I'm not sure that that's why we tell stories and I'm not sure it's sustainable And I'm not saying if you let go and just engage with stories. I know that's not a viable career path to just be in the moment with it. And I'm not saying that if you do it, because there's always the implicit thing. And when you let go and just write for yourself, then you'll write more. Then you'll you'll fall backwards into commercial success. I'm not saying that either. People often don't. I'm just saying... the only way to happiness is to write for the wow I've made a discord for um, Death of a Thousand Cuts and I announced it last episode and then forgot to put a link to it I will put a link to it in the show notes of today's episode uh, and then try and join if you'd like to join up it's just a way that people who listen to the show can chat um, share critiques I'll be on there so you can send me messages as well Uh, and we might figure out something to do with it. It might be at some point that I do some kind of like mini workshops over voice chat on there or something like that. I don't know. But just a way for people to connect, um, get writing tips. Like I say, share your work with other listeners, talk about episodes maybe. Uh, I'll put a link in today's show notes. So just click on that and it will go through to you being able to join. I think I think I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'll try to do that. 
Um, I hope that was a, a useful episode to you, those reflections. If you enjoy the show and you'd like to support me, there's two things you can do. You can go um, on the link in the show notes to buy one or more of my books. There's My latest book is Coward, Why We Get Anxious and What We Can Do About It. There's also The Honours and The Ice House, my novels. And if you'd like to help me keep the lights on, you can go to my coffee page ko-fi.com forward slash tim claire there's a link to that as well drop me a few beans it will help me to keep the lights on it help me to pay for hosting costs that's how i support the show no advertising on today's episode it is all run by listeners and i'm very grateful for it i hope you enjoyed this um i am extremely hot in the temperature sense because it's a very hot day i'm sweating profusely so i'm going to go and cool down As for you, be cool, and I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.